I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 3. If you'll open your Bibles, or you'll also see it on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and the priests, and they built the sheep gate, they consecrated it, and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel, and next to him the men of Jericho built. Next to them Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built a fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakos, repaired. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshizabal, repaired. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. Next to them, the Tukoyats, repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joiada, the son of Paser, and Meshulam, the son of Besadiah, repaired the gate of Jeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. Next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonites, and Jadon, the Maronithite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them Azael, the son of Harhiah, goldsmith, repaired. Next to him Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of the, half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumath, repaired opposite their house. Next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashanabah, repaired. Malchiah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pahath, Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, son of Halawesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanum and the inhabitants of Zanoah, Repair the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Melchiah, son of Rehab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kohas, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. 
He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down to the city of David. After Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keliah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired Ravai, the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakos, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priest, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, Son of Ananiah repaired beside his own house. After him, Benoit, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his own house, after them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shemaliah. And Hanun, the sixth son of, son of Zaleth, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Melchiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Thus far, the reading of the Lord. Just more. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. 
Thank you, Dr. K. Uh, many of you may or may not know this. Dr. K is retiring from Reformed Theological Seminary. He's had a mere 50 years, a half a decade almost of 40, teaching. 40. Well, 50 of teaching, 40 at RTS. <laughs> okay. You've been to, okay, <laughs> nearly a half a decade, okay? <laughs> Who's going to argue over a year or two here, Dr. K? But again, what an amazing uh, treasure he's been for the kingdom, for Orangewood, week in and week out. Thank you for your service to the Lord, my brother in Christ. Can we just say thank you to Dr. K? As you find your seats, if uh, no, the young people are staying here, is that correct, Jack? Yes. All right, I was about ready to dismiss them, but they're staying here. Stay put, right there. Wow. Am I no dummy? <laughs> Who's going to read chapter three? <laughs> you see some of those names? Mm-mm-mm. There's no way I'm reading that one. Let's get Dr. K, you know, uh, Dr. K, he was there, uh, and so he knew, and so. (laughs) Not true, not true. All right, it's graduation season. How many of you all have been to a graduation already this year? Raise your hand, been to a graduation? Yahoo. Hey, how about if you graduated? Let's stand up. I know Orangewood had its graduation on Friday. I know others have graduated. Graduates, woo! Congratulations. Well, I tell you what, uh, graduation is an amazing time, but it can be, uh, can be a little long. Occasionally gets a little boring. It, it can. Not in Orangewood. And this year, our valedictorian wrapped her speech. Is that not the coolest thing ever? I mean, she wrapped the speech. Unbelievable. Well, really what makes it uh, kind of long and boring is because there's a long list, just like we had in chapter three. There's this long list. And as you know, as you've gone, you're kind of there and you're there for like maybe one or two names. And the rest of the list, you really, come on, let's be honest, you don't really care a whole lot about, you know, you're just kind of waiting for that one moment when finally your kid or your friend or your, you know, whatever is, uh, is shouted out. And although they say, hold your applause to the end, I know you guys, you can't wait. You've been sitting there for so long. Are you kidding me? Finally, there's a name you know, you love, you recognize, you can hardly contain yourself, and there's a little bit of a shout-out. Uh, some of you guys get a little obnoxious with that. I've been there. I've seen that. But can you go, imagine going to a graduation where you knew no one? Uh, can you imagine? I, I, I think, talk about Snoozeville. I mean, can you imagine going to a graduation, going through that, that whole list, and there, there wasn't one name on the list that was recognizable? Matter of fact, what if there were not even one name that you didn't know, but there wasn't a whole name in the graduation list that even let you remember somebody else or reminded you of something else? Well, in a lot of ways, uh, Nehemiah 3 could be considered like going to a graduation that you knew nobody, you know? And it could be basically like hearing a bunch of names. And truthfully, did any of those names ring a bell to anybody? I mean, did anybody think fondly of somebody else? Because, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that reminds me of so-and-so. I mean, truthfully, 
really, other than Dr. K and just being an amazing man of God reading it, and it was awesome hearing God's word read, it was kind of like reading the phone book, wasn't it? I mean, not just our phone book. It's like reading the Jerusalem phone book. Okay, uh-huh, right, mm-hmm, right, right. You know, uh, uh, Charles Swindoll, a great pastor, uh, author, uh, he, he wrote a great book on Nehemiah uh, called Hand Me Another Brick. Uh, do you know what he says about chapter 3? That's it right there. <laughs> Didn't say a thing. <laughs> Went to 2 to 4. And just said, you know, you know what, what is that? It's kind of like the phone book. And uh, how, how do you pull things out of that? Well, amazingly, God has, for a reason, given us Nehemiah 3. And he didn't want us to feel just like what it was like to go to graduation. We didn't know anybody. And he didn't want us to feel like, hey, we just read the phone book or the Jerusalem phone book. He gave it to us for a reason. I mean, God's word is amazing. It's inerrant. Uh, it's infallible. It'll never lead us astray. But it's useful. It really is useful. And so we just read an entire chapter of Holy Writ uh, that God has given us for us today, for us to be shaped today. How can it be useful? Well, when it talks about what God, who God calls to work, it does two things amazingly. One is this. It tells us who worked. It tells us who worked. It's kind of a who's who uh, of, of building the wall that God would raise up. And what it really becomes clear, and the names don't mean a lot to us, but what becomes clear is everybody worked. I mean, I don't know how Nehemiah did it, but he blew away the 80-20 rule. You know the 80-20 rule? And man, is that true in church? That 20% of the people do 80% of the work? And sometimes you feel like it's like 8% and 92 or whatever. But somehow in Nehemiah, when you read this, this passage, you're going to realize that, man, I mean, everybody was working. I mean, doesn't, we, we have high priests and priests and, and you have city officials and, and nobles. And I love the fact it says that there were just women who, daughters who were working. Uh, a close study, if you read it closely, you'll have bachelors that were there, singles that were working, those who were married, those who were single, uh, those who uh, had a trade like goldsmiths. Those who were uh, perfumers, you hope they got close to the dung gate with the perfumers. That's all I'm thinking, you know. But it tells you who worked. And the bottom line was, it was everybody. Well, almost everybody. We'll talk about that in a minute. Almost everybody worked. But it does more than just tell us the who. It tells us the how. How they worked. And if you noticed, as, as Dr. K was reading scripture, it was like next to them and next to them and, and beside them and next to them. I mean, we get a glorious picture of God's people right here called to God's task. And what they're doing is each one is involved. Each one is using their gifts and each one is standing side by side with their brothers and sisters. That's how they were. There's no gaps there. It's just a beautiful picture of the church and and how it should work. You know, I've heard it said, and it's, it's, it's true, it's, it's sometimes hard for us to, to sit here, here at Orangewood and, and uh, 2011 and, and try to see, well, how in the world can, can Nehemiah and building the walls, how does that compare to Orangewood in our situation? Or, or what does that mean with, with my life? And, and I agree with you that that's sometimes a stretch, but it is true that all of God's word is for us, and he wants us to glean some things from this. Again, I love what Romans 15 says. It says that all of Scripture, all the stories that God tells us, there's a point to them. 
And by the way, the main point to all the stories of Scripture, every single one points to the hero of Scripture, the hero of history, the hero of all of life, that's Jesus. But according to the New Testament, it says, hey, those things, those stories that seem so like way out there, they're for you, they're for me. They were written to, to build us up and to, to give us uh, encouragement. I know it's not exactly our situation. It's just kind of a lot of ways far away. But we got to ask ourselves, what is here for us? How does this point us to Jesus? Uh, when I went through seminary, um, those mere eight years of seminary, uh, one of the things that emerged uh, was uh, Richard Pratt helping me learn and teach about Old Testament. And one of the things he gave, and you may want to write this down, this is really helpful when you read Old Testament. There's three things to think about. You think about that world. And that world is the world that the writer's describing. Uh, for example, Moses, who wrote the first uh, five books of the, uh, the Bible, the Pentateuch, he's not describing his world. He's describing that world, the world that happened then. And so when you read scripture, we normally think of that world. And you want to say, well, what did it mean for them? If you want to get really excited about God's word, put yourself in the original reading audience. Their world. What was happening when the writer was writing this. Why was he telling us this piece of history? Their world. And then when we really want to get it as Christians, you see, we pull it through the cross. We stand on the other side of the cross of redemptive history, and we pull it to our world and say, how, how does Jesus fit into the story? How does Jesus point it to, and where does he make sense in this story? So that world, uh, their world, and our world is a wonderful, just a mnemonic device to help you read through Scripture especially the Old Testament in a way that makes it come alive and sense. But there is tremendous help for us today. Today, here's what Nehemiah wants to say. There are some key principles. He says, side by side, church, is how you're to work and how you're to build and advance my kingdom. You're supposed to be next to each other. You're supposed to be loving one another. And here, here are our four things. One is this, four questions for us today. Who are you next to? Think about this. This is going to be an easy thing to remember. We're going to talk kind of circumferentially, if I'm making up a word, uh, kind of the circumference around you. Who are you next to? What is in front of you? What is beneath you? And who is above you? So as we read Nehemiah today, uh, may God uh, bless us as we try to wrestle with that, this ancient story. It's not a graduation which no one knows. It's not reading the Jerusalem uh, phone book. God has for us something here today. Let's call, let's call his presence and blessing on the preaching of his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Nehemiah 3. Um, you didn't want to just list a bunch of names to list a bunch of names. You wanted us to learn things. You wanted Orangewood today, May 29th, 2011, uh, to open up this word and for it to come alive to us. So, Father, only you can do that. You're going to have to speak through a broken vessel, a sinful vessel that desperately needs you. You're going to have to send the spirit of Jesus into this room to open up our ears so that we can hear your voice. Jesus, we need your light to shine in our minds because they're dark and we don't understand. Because you love us, uh, Holy Spirit, would you please shape our hearts and make them believe what you have for us? Because we are your church and we're your people, those that you've called to your name. God, you want us to do more than just soak this in. You want us to go live this out. And so, God, we pray that you would empower our feet, that when we leave here, we would walk in a manner worthy of your name. 
worthy of the gospel. God, would you come and do that again? God, we just, we thank you so much for those that you've raised up to build the walls in Jerusalem, those names that we have uh, and how many and how they worked. God, we thank you for those you've raised up in our midst. We've already prayed for the stewards. What an awesome uh, sight to see these living stones be raised up to go serve you. And God, to see Dr. K that you have uh, raised up to do such great work for you for so many years. Father, we thank you for him. What a pillar. But God, the ultimate pillar is Christ. And all these living stones point to the cornerstone, uh, Jesus Christ. So all that is said and done, may it point to you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, the first question is this. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, you'll find an outline there. Is, is the answer to the question, who are you next to? Who are you next to in life? Uh, we're going to look at three different areas of who you're next to. We're going to look at that for companionship. Uh, we're going to look at that for accountability. And we're going to look at that for protection. But I, uh, throughout this, I want the, the spirit to be working inside each of you, answering the question, who are you next to right now? Because God has created us for community. We don't get him until we get one another. That's true. Uh, God uh, has created life to be a team sport, not an individual sport. Uh, as God exists in community, uh, God is, is all in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So from the beginning of time, there has never been a moment where there hasn't been community. And the community is really how God has made us in his image. Oftentimes, we, we, when the lights start going on, we start to realize that as we are made in God's image, he's made us for him in a vertical relationship with him. And that is so true. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because of the one who made you, because of how he designed you, because you reflect who he is, you will never find life, never find meaning, meaning and purpose that is lasting until you find him. I mean, Augustine was right way back in the 300s. Can you imagine someone being that smart in the 300s? He said, our hearts will forever wander until they find their rest in God. Man, so true because we're made in his image. But there's more than that. Not only a vertical connectedness that God has made us and wired us for, there's a vertical connectedness. God has made us not as a rock in and of ourselves. He's made us for community. He's made us for companionship, for us to truly enjoy life and understand life. I mean, when I do weddings, uh, one of the things I love to say to the groom early on is this. I want you to know that God created everything and looked at it and said, really good. And he said, there's one thing not good. I mean, you got to think about this. Uh, God had made man. They're in paradise. They have an unbroken relationship because of sin. Man is ruling and reigning over God's perfect creation. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? That, God, that man and God are walking together in the cool of the evening. And yet there's one thing that makes God himself stop and say, oh, that's not good. What is that? It's not good that man's alone. It's not good that man's alone. We, you don't even get the whole story until we get another woman, until we get community, and, and not just with uh, man and wife, but with one another. Love what the proverb says is this, uh, a friend loves at all times. God's created us to, to have friends who walk with us and love with us, and when things get tough, it says a, bar, a brother is born in adversity. To have a companion who's gonna walk through your junk with let me ask you this question. Who is next to you in life? 
If you can't answer that question, if, if you're pausing right now, think, hmm. and I'm not talking about just your immediate family, but who's next to you in life? I mean, who knows your stuff? Who's helping you carry it? I mean, who's, who's wrestling with things with you? Uh, C.S. Lewis says, there's nothing greater than life than Christian friends around a fire. Now, I, I guess he's talking in the damp England. I'm thinking nothing better than life than Christian friends around AC. Wouldn't you agree about times like this? But just knows the joy of being connected to one another, sharing similar passions, seeing life together. I love what Lewis says as well. He says, when it comes to uh, relationships with spouses, you're looking at each other. But when it comes to companions and friends, you're looking in the same direction. Is there anybody in your life that's next to you that shares a similar vision, that shares similar passions, that's going to walk with you through the highs and lows of life? If not, it's a sign. God's created you not to be alone. He's created you for himself, first and foremost, but for others. Let me ask you the next question, which is hard, a little bit hard for me to ask. Who's next to you in church? I mean, you guys sit in the same spots for the most part, and usually I could tell who's here by looking around and say, oh, yeah, check, 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 check. And you don't move around a whole lot. But I mean, I'm not talking about who just literally sits next to you. I'm talking about who are you connected with here? I mean, who knows how to pray for you with detail? Who knows uh, your situation in life? Who knows those things that you've been struggling with? Listen, God has not equipped you to carry them by yourself. First and foremost, he says, cast your cares on me. But he's raised us up. We've been called out together for a reason. That's the church. For us to share one another's burdens and thus love one another. Why? So the world knows we're his. So let me ask you a question. Who are you next to? Who are you next to in life and who are you next to in this church? And I know the answer for many of you. I can see you even now. I don't really know anybody here. Again, one of the things that we're doing at Orangewood is just saying, how do we do a better job, God, knocking down the walls that keep people from being truly connected? Because you have created us for community. And not only just for, for that, for companionship, but also for accountability. I love the reality is, is uh, they had this mile and a half to two and a half miles of wall that they were working side by side. You know what? If someone didn't show up to work, do you think it's noticed? There's some wonderful accountability with the reality when you're connected to one another. When you're connected to one another, if someone's not showing up at work, it's pretty obvious. Hey, where you been? What are you doing? And, and if we're so loosely connected to one another, you know how easy it is to slide in and out of here? You know how easy it is to slide in out without even being noticed? But God wants us to be connected for accountability so that we can say, hey, you know, you need to be there. Uh, we needed you. I mean, your gifts would have been perfect here. You needed to hear that. I love you. And we need to hold each other accountable together. Uh, and really, it's amazing what, what Nehemiah was able to do. It was amazing what the Holy Spirit really did through Nehemiah and just shattered that 80-20. Orangewood does a lot of great things, both internally and externally. But a lot of times it's the same faces showing up. A lot of times it's the it's people you can count on uh, that are there. And God's saying, no, 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 we need every one of you. Each one of you is gifted. And the way we can be connected to each other, can hold each other accountable. Proverbs 13, 20. Proverbs are, are so practical. By the way, there are 31 of them. Uh, most months have 31 days. If you're here and you want to get to know God better and you want to know your own life better, you know, why not take a day that it is, like today's the 29th, read the 29th proverb. A great way to do it. Um, 
But Proverbs 13, 20 says this, he who walks with the wise men will be wise. You see, God has created for a relationship, for accountability, so we can walk with each other, wrestle with key spiritual truths together, and, and just try to learn from one another. Especially in relationships like growing kids. Do you know how invaluable it is to talk to someone else who's been there, done that? You know how good it is to be connected with others who just know what it's like to walk with the wise? You know, by God's grace, I have two men that I meet with every week in my life. A Monday morning appointment with Jim Cofield. Uh, I meet with a, another friend, and now they're in this church every Thursday morning. And, and they're really bright men. And, and, I, and I learn a lot. And I sit at their feet, and I have other men and women in my life who can speak truth in my life and just say, I want to grow wise. Will you, will, you, will you hold me accountable to that? Would you help me become more like Christ? I love what the proverb says this. Proverbs 27, 6 say uh, that faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know what that's trying to say? What's it mean by saying faithful to the wounds of a friend? It means you have somebody in your life that loves you enough to tell you the truth in love. Do you know what a gift that is? You know what a gift it is for someone to say, I, I, I got to call you on the carpet. I'm thankful for those people in my life. They're painful at times. I, I'm wired. I want to hear positive. I, I want to be reinforced. But, but really, it's faithful to the wounds of those who tell you the truth. Because they're holding you accountable because they love you and they love God. Is there anybody in your life that's speaking truth and love? Is there anybody in your life that could wound you in, 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 a, in a healing way? If not, it's a sign you're susceptible. And that's the last point. Let me, let me, let me read this Larry Crabb quote. Essential task of community is to create a place that's safe enough for the walls to be torn down. Interestingly, in Jerusalem, they're talking about raising the walls for protection. Crab talking about community as a counselor, right? Says, we got to create a place that's safe enough to, to tear down our walls. Because don't we want to build them? Don't we want to kind of want to keep people out? Because you want to know why? They might know the truth about us. But the reality is, as God says, we want to create an environment where those walls come down, where there's true love and community so you can be truthful, safe enough for each of us uh, to own and reveal our brokenness. Oh, that's the longing of my heart here in Orangewood, that the gospel would be so rich and so soaked here, that this would be a place safe enough for us to own and reveal our own brokenness. So come Lord Jesus and make that a reality. Only then can the power of connecting do its job. Only then can community be used of God to restore our souls. Simply put, we can never be what God intends us to be until we are in a right relationship with him and one another. We need it for our protection as well. Satan loves it when we're alone. Satan would love to isolate us and, and pull us away from the church and pull us away from accountability and pull us away from those who love us and speak the truth in love. Satan loves to isolate us because then we are most susceptible to his lies. And then we're, we're like unprotected, we're unflanked. And you can you just picture a, a, a lion chasing after a prey, this, looking for the straggler, looking for the one who's alone. I mean, there, there's, there's protection in the herd, is there not? There's protection being together. And what Satan would love to do is say, you don't want to connect. It's too much, it's too much work. It's too much, you know, you don't want to reveal your stuff. I mean, stay who you are. You're fine just where you are. And he wants to isolate you and pull you away from truly having community and growing and knowing and loving him together. 
then we're susceptible, our guard's down. I tell you, I, I really believe that's why so many of our marriages are under attack, because we're not connected. I mean, not that they wouldn't be attacked anyway, but we don't have that strength together. Then we be together. This is what uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good, uh, good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, then one lifts up his companion. What a beautiful biblical example that we're to lift one another up when we fall. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. I think of our singles especially. When you come to a church like this, you may feel like, man, am I second class? No, you're not. You're part of the body of Christ. And man, do we need to be linked to you. We need to learn from you. you we, we, we need to grow with you. And you need to be with us so that when you fall, you can, we can lift you up and vice versa. In verse 12, and if, if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. You've probably heard it before. One is susceptible. Two, there's some strength. But man, you get three or more together. Three or more together, we can bond together. First question is, who's next to you? We want to help you with that. We want to, we're spending this whole time trying to get more in community groups. If you're feeling alone, come. We would love to connect you because that's where you need to be. Next thing is what's in front of you. Let's spend a, a minute looking at each one. Who's in front of you at home, at work, and at church? What's in front of you at, at home? You've got to realize, folks, that there, there's, there's different seasons in our lives. But what is in front of you right now? There are different walls that need repairing at different times. I, I know the transition with, 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 with kids, and I want to specifically, I feel led to tell you this. If you have multiple kids, by God's grace, thank the Lord. But there may be seasons in your life where one needs more attention than the other. There may be, what's in front of you right now at home? I mean, what, what, what is there right now? Right now, what percolates up as the biggest need in your household? That's what we need to build. I want to say, I want to work on everything. You work on nothing. Of course, we want to work on everything. But right now, what is in front of you? I love the way they worked. How'd they work? They worked on the wall that was right there. They didn't try to go work on the whole thing. They worked on the wall that was right there. What is right there in front of you and your family right now? can't look in your faces and not know that some of you have a lot right there alone. And I, I hate the fact that some of you feel so isolated and alone. If you're married, that wall always needs bending. And that wall should be the first and foremost one you're looking at. Because if you really want to love your kids, build your marriage. And if you're single, and that's the wall that's in front of you right now, trust God and build that. Trust him. You're no less, I love it says, and his daughters help build. God doesn't exclude you. God has a plan. And let me encourage you that you're, you're not left out. But focus on what is in front of you. What is it at home right now? Maybe, maybe you just want to jot it down. Maybe it's a name. What's in front of you? What's in front of you at work? God has called all of us to work. He's made us his workmanship to do the good work. He's prepared for us in advance to walk in. We are created to do that. Um, but we are created to work first and foremost for his own glory and to advance his kingdom. What is in front of you at work right now? For some of you, it might be an employment. For some of you, it might be finding a college. 
Uh, for some of you, it might be uh, your work is school. Um, but what is right in front of you? And I want you to think about two things. What task is God calling you that's right there that he wants you to shine in? And what relationship is right in front of you? It can get overwhelming, I know. You start looking around at all the needs and you think, oh, I can't do it. What's in front of you? At work, build there. What about at church? What is in front of you right now at church? I love 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about how God gives gifts throughout the body. And he tells us, you ready for this? Even the parts that seem weak are indispensable. If you are a part, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a part of the bride of Christ. That doesn't mean you're necessarily an official part of Orangewood, but if you believe in him as Lord and Savior, you're a part of the body. God has gifted you and he's called you to make this place beautiful. He's called you to make this place better. He's called you to, to use your gifts to serve him by building her up. So let me ask you, what is in front of you right now at church? Is, is, it, a, is it a leadership position? Can't wait. We got some more deacons and elders coming here in a couple weeks. Uh, is it a teaching thing? Is it just getting involved in a small group? I mean, is it helping and maybe being a captain of set up, tear down? What's, what's in front of you? If there's nothing, let's talk. Because we want to make sure that you're lined up right here because, man, do we need you at a time like this. The next question is this. Not, not only who's beside you, but what's in front of you. What's beneath you? Did you notice who the only ones who didn't work? Did you notice it? There were some nobles who worked, but the only people who didn't work was in verse 5, 3, 5. And next to them were the Tekoites. Uh, if you think of Amos from Tekoa, uh, these are those folks. They repaired, but ready for this? But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. They're nobles. And you know what the word stoop here? It's such a great picture. You can picture this pretty easily. They wouldn't stick their neck out. Literally means it wouldn't stick their neck out for the work. And what they're really saying is they wouldn't stick their neck out to take the yoke of this work on. They wouldn't do it. It was beneath them. And somehow serving the Lord by repairing the wall for these nobles, they wouldn't stoop to do. Is there any work that you wouldn't stoop to do for the Lord? I get reports back that some of you won't stoop to do nursery duty. You won't, listen, I've done my time there. I'm not changing diapers. I'm not running after those kids. It's not mine. And you're like those noble Tekoites, that you're just not good enough for our nursery duty. Really? So we say, well, I, you know what? I'm tired of setting up this place and tearing it down. I don't need to do that. It's beneath me. Is there any work here that's beneath you? Can I point you again to Jesus? Can I point you to Jesus who is God in flesh? Who would not, there wasn't a work that he would not stoop down to do. Do you know that he, he would take off his outer garment and pick up a basin of water and a cloth to wash your feet? Do you know that there's nothing that Jesus would not do? I don't know how my English is there. Jesus did it all for the glory of God. Everything he did. He's God in flesh. Talk about a noble. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And yet rescuing you and me, he'd do it all. Don't you think in his name we could well up and say, God, for your glory, may there be nothing beneath me that I say I can't do that for the glory of Christ. 
I think of Helen uh, Rosevere. I, I read her book, A Living Sacrifice. It's a uh, doctor out of England who went and served God in Africa. And she, uh, as she was serving God, they needed, a, they needed to build a kiln to make bricks. And they needed to make bricks to build a hospital. And so she, here she is doing manual physical labor. And it just she's getting kind of disgruntled. She's like, God, I studied medicine my whole life to come serve you. God, you've given me a mind and the ability to be a surgeon. And here you have me making bricks. I mean, really, God, I got to go. Can't somebody else, can't you raise up somebody else to pack some stuff together and just make bricks? And then the worst thing is, is when she was called immediately into surgery and she goes to surgery and they got to pour the antiseptic on her, her, her blistered, broken hands and just the sting. Oh, God, can't you have someone else make the bricks? And God's spirit just said, will you not stoop to do that for me? Do you really think that the surgery is more important than the bricks? She's just convicted by the Holy Spirit. Said, God, if you want me to make bricks, I'll make bricks. God, if you want me to serve in the nursery, I'll serve in the nursery. You want me to make coffee, I'll make coffee. You want me to set up chairs, I'll set up chairs. You want me to lead, I'll lead. What is beneath you? Is there anything that you won't do for King Jesus? Is there anything that you won't stick your neck out to the one who spread his hands out for you? They wouldn't stoop. Not only that, what's beneath you, but you've got to realize that you're building on Christ the solid rock. What is your foundation? Paul says there's no other foundation other than Christ. I love what Matthew 7 says. Either you're going to build your life on shifting sand or you're going to build your life on Jesus Christ, the solid rock. You read that text carefully. It's pretty interesting. Guess what happens to those who love Jesus and build on a rock and those who don't and build on sand? Guess what happens? Both of them have rainfall. Both of them have floods. Both of them have tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes. Both of them have ravishes of life. But the only ones who stand are on Jesus. What's beneath you? Are you building your life upon anything other than Jesus Christ? If you are, it will fall. And on him, you will stand. What is above you? What is above you? There's two thoughts about that. What is above you? Earthly, what is above you? Let me just turn you to uh, Romans 13. We don't have time to unpack that, but Romans 13, one and two very clearly says, you ready for this? There is no authority on earth that God has not established. Young people, your parents are your parents by design. God did not make a mistake. There's no authority that God has not established on earth. And it's all authorities his. Sometimes you want to scratch your head and say, really, God, do you know my boss? Uh, do you know my circumstances? Yes, he does. And I don't know why. His ways aren't our ways. But the reality is, according to the Bible, that we are called to be under his authority, first and foremost, for the glory of God. And we honor him by the way we honor the authority above us. Who's above you? Are you honoring God? The way you honor authority in the church, the way you honor authority in the workplace, or you want to be your own lone ranger and do the American way and say, no, I can do it, my, I can do it better. God's called us to be under authority. It honors him. And he says, listen, whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, do for the glory of God. Whatever you do, don't do it. Do it with all your heart. Don't do it for man, Colossians 3.23, but do it for the Lord. My brothers and sisters, there is a graduation that is coming. All of us will have to attend. 
And the ultimate question is we have this ultimate graduation before God, our king. The ultimate question is this. Will your name be on the list? And that's, that's the ultimate question. Will your name be on the list? When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Because by God's grace, and through faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, by nothing that I deserve or have ever done, I'm going to be there at that graduation. By His grace, because of the blood of Jesus, robed in His righteousness, I belong to you. If you've embraced Christ as Savior, and I know most of you have, but for the rest of you, let me tell you, graduation day's coming. Are you ready? When the names are called out, are you going to be there? But now, today, live your life in light of that day, knowing what he's called us to do before him. He says, make sure you know who's next to you because it's going to help on your way home. Make sure you know what's in front of you, what I placed in front of you to do it all for my glory. What is beneath you? What won't you stoop to do? Are you building on the foundation? And lastly, what is above you? Are you doing it all for the glory of God? Let us pray. Father God, it is truly a privilege that you even know our names. And God, thank you that not only do you know us and love us, but God, it's our names that you have have chosen to do your work, to advance Christ's kingdom in the way we love you and the way we love one another. God, you're calling us to to work side by side here at Orangewood. God, you don't want any gaps in this church. You don't want anybody that's wandering away by themselves because they're susceptible to danger and there's no accountability. And God, you've created them for more. And I know that there's people here right now that are feeling the amazing pain of feeling alone. God, just be with them. Give them your grace and your presence and and give us wisdom as a church. How do we do a better job loving them and bringing them in? How can we do a better job of just connecting one another? God, powerfully work so that we can do the work you have for us. Thank you that the 80-20 rule was obliterated by Nehemiah, that each one, except for those nobles, stuck their neck out for the work. God, we can stick our necks out for the work because we're loved and we're forgiven and we're yours. And you choose to use us to advance Christ's kingdom. And Father, I pray that you'd build us up, build us up into true community that loves you, loves your word, that encourages one another so we can do your work here and advance Christ's kingdom. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.